So hello and welcome to another episode of Flying High with Flutter. I'm your host, Alan Wyma, and today we have Jorge Coca, I hope I said that correctly, and yes, Felix, Felix Angelov, I believe is the right <laughs> way to say it, or Americanized Angelov, as he's just let me know. Uh, these are two guys who are working uh, at Very Good Ventures, which is to me like one of the most top uh, Flutter consultancies we have. And uh, yeah, I think I'm just going to let them talk a little bit more about themselves because I'm always afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. Um, but so go ahead. Maybe Jorge goes first. Absolutely. I can do that. So it's very nice to you. Like, or thank you so much for having us on the on the show. Uh, we're, we're ready here to have a good time and to share our story with, with you and with everyone. Uh, currently, I'm the head of engineering at Very Good Ventures, where I focus on pretty much like growing our team so we can offer the best service to our clients, right? As you said before, Very Good Ventures is a consulting company, right? Uh, we try to bring the best possible experience uh, when it comes to Flutter development, right? And so far, we've been very privileged to kind of like be a little bit successful in that re in that regard, right? Like we've been working with, with Google, with the New York Times, with Betterment, with Policy Genius, with Toyota, right? And it's just very exciting to see the Flutter community growing and to be kind of like leading some of those efforts, both internally and also like publicly when it comes to open source, things like that. And that's the perfect segue to let Felix introduce himself. Yeah, sure. Uh, so yeah, thanks for having me as well. I'm Felix. And uh, very similar to what Jorge mentioned, except for I try to focus a bit more on the software side and um, kind of developing tools uh, as much as possible in the open source, obviously, like he mentioned to basically help our team and help the Flutter community be more efficient and write higher quality code um, and make our clients happier at the same time. And uh, yeah, I think uh, a little bit about both of us, um, not, probably most people know, but we both used to work at BMW before joining VGV where we worked on, uh, I worked on web and some iOS, Jorge did a lot of Android. Probably we can tell a funny story later if we have time about <laughs> how I joined BMW. But um, yeah, we've been working together for quite a while now and have been fortunate enough to be using Flutter for like three and a half years now, which has been an awesome experience. There's a funny story about you joining BMW. I think we can talk about that now. Since we, we would like to, <laughs> to talk you want about to you guys at BMW. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I was kind of like leading some of the Android efforts in our Chicago office for BMW. And actually Felix did the interview for my team. So he was supposed to work with me since 2016 or 17, right? 16, yeah. Um, he passed the interview. He was very knowledgeable on Android. And all of a sudden, one day, I see him in the office, and he's not on my team. And I was like, what the? Turns out that a different team stole him. Um, and he started focusing a little bit on Flutter. And then he started actually leading some of our hybrid efforts with web on for BNW, right? Uh, which put him in a really good position to kind of like then join once we started the Flutter initiative at BMW, kind of like come and work with us. And that's when uh, we started working together in the team. But, but yeah, it was it was fun to see him like that he was interviewing for an Android role and all of a sudden he was not in my team. Yeah, yeah. That was like, to me, the funniest thing is like, oh, it was so exciting. Like I had been doing Android in college. I was like, oh, this team is awesome. Like I'm going to do Android like um, at a higher like quality level with a real team with people who are like experts on Android. And then first day I got handed an iOS book and learn Swift. <laughs> so yeah, that was an interesting experience. <laughs> Actually, I, I think that that's a good way of 
explaining why we got to use Flutter at BMW, right? Uh, which probably is what everyone wants to hear at some point. Like, not the funny stories about the interviews. Let's talk about Flutter. <laughs> so what happened is that my Android team was quite small, right? Um, the biggest energy or like the biggest focus of BMW was on iOS. Up to a point where like you can imagine like maybe having 70, 80, 90, 100 developers focus on iOS. And on Android, we were like 10, 12, right? Uh, so it was impossible to achieve feature parity, right? And on top of that, our technology efforts, the way we were doing Android and the way we were doing iOS was quite different. And this started to be a reflection also in the product that we were putting out there. We saw that customers, for example, on the Android project, they would complain not because the Android product was bad, but because they were missing features that they were not part of the Android product, but they were part of the iOS product, right? But also like the, the user base was like maybe 30% of users using Android and 17% of the users using iOS. So we had a CTO that challenged us. I was like, look, let's put together a research team and see what we can do from the technology point of view to bring feature parity. And we can actually coordinate these efforts with a new kind of like branding of what we do in digital services for BNW and Mini, maybe new designs and all that stuff. So that research team literally focused for like six months pretty much in what can we do from the technology point of view to bring feature parity and make sure that both iOS and Android users were happy were receiving the same feature set, right? So, Felix, would you like to talk a little bit about that research process? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was an interesting. Um, it was an interesting process. We kind of split apart into. Well, prior to that whole thing, like I joined a little later in the process. So early on, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jorge. But basically, the uh, the team split up, and and different individuals took different um, technologies and did their due diligence, like reading about them, looking at the limitations, evaluating like would they meet our needs. Um, and then we kind of like eliminated a couple. Actually, like there's a funny story as well there with Microsoft and Xamarin, where apparently they literally told us don't use Xamarin. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. <laughs> um, and so um, basically, it came down to a couple of uh, options that we had. One of them was this uh, cross-platform architecture, right? That was by Uber called Ribs. Um, and then Flutter was another uh, contender, and then React Native was in there as well. Uh, but I think we quickly removed React Native from the equation because there were concerns about like it being super open-ended and having to manage all kinds of dependencies and performance and all the usual stuff. And so I think at one point we were pretty sure that we were going to go with Uber Ribs. Like we were like, okay, this is it. This is what our recommendation was. And then we got challenged again. Like, okay, let's split in half into two different teams, and one team will start rebuilding the app in Uber Ribs with iOS and Android code bases. Another team will do it in Flutter. And we'll spend like two weeks doing this and pretend like each team is actually trying to do this for real. And then at the end of the two weeks, let's come back together and then evaluate like how did the progress go? Like how do we feel about them? And uh, yeah, the results basically spoke for themselves. <laughs> I think, I don't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure we didn't make any progress on Android with the Uber Ribs approach because of the composition of the developers working on it. Um, whereas with Flutter, we had a working iOS and Android app and we actually got like a ton of progress in those two weeks. And really like the only questions, I was one of the skeptical people at that time about using Flutter and it was mainly around the support um, for native 
um, integrations. So like we relied heavily on Bluetooth, we relied on Google Maps, we relied on uh, web views and things like that, that at the time they didn't really exist or like they were super early. And we kind of had to just uh, trust that Google was gonna deliver and like support those native um, plugins that we, we were gonna rely heavily on in the future. But um, yeah, it was, it was kind of like one of those experiences that I really value because we put aside everyone's opinions and we actually just sat down and looked at like, okay, let's be real, like how much can we actually achieve and what are we actually like afraid of? And then it became really easy to make the decision and Flutter was kind of a no brainer at that point. Yeah, we were very lucky actually to be part of an organization at that point with a CTO leading pretty much all those efforts that gave us the confidence and the support to be like, look, let's try this. Let's give it a try for two weeks, for then four weeks. Let's keep incrementing that span in time. If it doesn't work, then it doesn't work, right? You don't know what you don't know. And six months down the line, you might encounter like, hey, this doesn't scale or anything like that. So that gave us the confidence to be like, okay, we're going to start trying little by little. And what we tried after those two weeks, we were like, okay, we're quite happy with the results. Let's keep trying one more sprint. So we kept trying and we made more progress and we were happy. We were like, hey, the application is still super performant, even if we still adding like lots of lights of code, right? The testing level is really good, right? With Flutter, you get like support for testing out of the box immediately. We engage with the Flutter team at that point to start working about how can we integrate with maps? How can we bring more support for web views and all the stuff? So all the pieces came together and pretty much we were six months into that process and we we're like, Okay, there's no way back. Flutter is the solution, right? Yeah. It, it literally checks the boxes of what we were trying to do when it came to feature parity, new designs, full control over the user interface. But actually, it forced us to do like a few other resets in, resets, sorry, in parts that we didn't consider initially. One of them was actually from the coding standards point of view, actually picking Flutter and revaluating our like standards, our choices, our practices over CI, CD, rules and all the stuff made us write better code than what we were doing on the native side. And it also challenged us to kind of like start again as, as a culture, as a what it means to be a digital organization within a company like VNW that is 100 years old, actually older than that, right? And this sounds crazy because technology companies, right? Like, the oldest ones that are like about 20 years old, right? Like actually Google just celebrated like being 23 some like quite recently, right? Even the dinosaurs of technology like IBM and Intel are from the 50s or the 60s and all of the sudden vehicle companies, they've been operating since like the late 1800s or like early 1900s, right? And they are hardware companies ultimately. And now they're catching up to that era of like digital services. So for us, Flutter and many other things, but like this project was the spark to trigger that cultural change, right? So all of a sudden now the entire company started thinking about how to be more efficient, how to actually bring cross-platform, how to improve our internal architectures, right? Like we actually refactor microservices infrastructure. Mm -hmm. We improve our APIs, like a lot our CI CD infrastructure, right? We actually brought kind of like modern development to BMW. And that was thanks to 
flattered. Like that was this part that we needed. That was mm -hmm. the reset button. That we yeah, needed. yeah. I think one of the things that even arguably more important than choosing Flutter was like Jorge mentioned, uh, actually like stepping back and thinking about the APIs, um, putting like the team in, in control and like empowering them to uh, have better uh, control over the contracts between the client and the API and also monitoring. Like I remember even to this day, we kind of had that ability to be like, okay, what are some of the problems that as a front end team, like we've encountered in the past? And one of them was always like, Oh, the app's broken and who do people go to when the app's broken the front end team even though a lot of times the issue is on the back end somewhere and the client just like was doing its thing right um and so one of the things that we try to like make a really good point about doing was having monitoring in place so that if things aren't working it was like super crystal clear where the issue was in the infrastructure like was it a client issue was it an api issue if it is an api issue at what layer in the back end is the issue happening who do we need to contact uh, to address the issue. And so like all of those things all together, I think helped make us um, way more successful and happier as a development team. And I think that that experience, actually, that's what made the transition to VGV to very good ventures to start doing consulting fun and useful, mm -hmm. right? We had the opportunity to see Flutter working at scale at an organization. We were able to create some tools right like that as part of like our internal refactor at BMW, that's how Felix started writing, for example, Block, right? Like Block was an initiative, a tool that was born inside BMW. But by making making it open source, now we realized that we could actually have an impact in many other organizations that were going through a similar transition or might want to do a similar transition, right? And all of a sudden we built all this expertise and we realized like, hey, we can use other teams, other companies to grow without having to go through the same pain points that we have already experienced, right? Once you bring a consulting company, if you have the same pain points that you had before, then as consultants, we're not doing anything special, right? We're just kind of like learning as you go and you cannot consider yourself an expert, right? You want to remove those barriers. And that has been super fun so far, right? Like we've been able to work with many teams, right? and build up even more expertise, more points of view, to understand how people actually use Flutter in many different other companies. Because sometimes when you work in a big corporation, it's not that you get a better engineer, you just get to learn how to use the tools that that company uses, right? So now we've been exposed to more state management solutions and that help us actually to be even more opinionated and defend better the recommendations that we make. It has helped us to like understand better our testing strategy or understand better like or improve our like state management solutions, right? So that was like very, very impactful as well for us in, in our career and how we're actually working within the VGV ecosystem. Yep, yep. Uh, one other thing too that VGV has really embraced is just like whenever we can contributing back to open source like Jorge mentioned. So I think like a lot of big companies, they kind of shy away from that because they're afraid like it's going to leak internal IP or whatever the case might be. Obviously, that's not everyone, but um, it's been really nice to also have that balance between like we are doing consulting work, we are helping clients, but at the same time, we're also trying to help uh, just like everyday developers or people who are learning Flutter for the first time or whatever the case might be, like as much as possible, we try to think like, is this tied to a client? If the answer is no, 
then let's open source it. Let's make it something that not only can other people use, but other people can help us make it better. I think like one of the reasons, in my opinion, why all, a lot of the open source tooling is usually better than the internal tooling is just because you have so many more eyes on it, so many more people playing with it, trying it, looking at the code, saying like, hey, why didn't you do it this way instead of this other way? And like over time, all that really makes a huge difference. So it's been great to see like that culture and um, like just the the way of thinking at VGV yeah. has um, has been like super empowering and like yeah our engineers kind of can uh, obviously they are working on consulting uh, a lot of times and they are working with clients but like there's nothing stopping people from hopping over and working on some open source work or writing blog posts and things like that and kind of just like giving back to the community wherever they can and luckily like I think almost everyone if not everyone on the team really enjoys that and tries to find ways to make it happen so yeah it's been really awesome. I yeah, want to kind of stop oh, you over here real quick. Uh, maybe it's my turn. So <laughs> I'm going to be a little bit greedy because I'm a big fan of Block. Uh, and I kind of wanted to talk more about the beginnings of Block, right? Because I'm not too sure if, if Block actually came from BMW or just the Block library came from uh, yeah, your experience yeah. over there or what? Like, what, where did this whole entire idea of Block came from? That's Yeah, that's yeah. so the idea of Block. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the idea of Block came from Google, right? Like the ads team at Google um, came up with this pattern and they came up with these rules for like what it means to follow this pattern. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure you can find that talk on YouTube where they first introduced this pattern and gave some snippets of how you can implement it using Rx or just like streams and Dart. And so at BMW, the, that's where the library was born, like Jorge mentioned. So um, what we Originally, we actually started using Redux um, because what we wanted to avoid is like what was happening in our previous experience on native was um, it was different depending on the code base. Like iOS had different issues than Android. I think Android sounds like it was a lot more under control than iOS. But at the end of the day, we wanted to have something that was uh, easy that we could teach uh, new developers pretty quickly that didn't have a lot of ways for you to shoot yourself in the foot using the approach and um, that would scale well and was consistent. And um, yeah, so we started off with Redux. Uh, we gave it a try because at the time, I think the only options we had really were scope model and Redux. So I think we tried all of these different options. And I think even Jorge has an article, it's still on Medium, that's like use Redux and block together. Um, so that was back like in the early days. <laughs> yeah, so we started off just using the pattern. We were using Rx Dart um, and the at least in my opinion, the reason why the library came to exist is because we had this one teammate on our team who was like, I'm not using RxDart. Like, I'll never use RxDart. Um, it's way too complicated. It's way too easy to like have memory leaks or make things that are just like impossible to debug or reason about. And even though it's like a really powerful tool, we saw how easy it is to misuse when uh, people aren't familiar with the more advanced concepts. And so that was kind of the inspiration for like, okay, we really like this pattern, but we also don't love all the different ways that you can kind of introduce issues into your code base by following this pattern with the raw like stream implementation. And so the library was an attempt to like take that pattern. Obviously there's some like room for interpretation about the pattern. I think one of the things that people often like say, oh, the block library doesn't follow the block pattern is because when you see the raw block examples, you usually see a single block with multiple streams and multiple syncs. Um, and with the library, we kind of made the decision that like, okay, each block has a single input and a single output. And we can talk more later about why we made that decision. But ultimately the goal was to take this pattern that we really liked and 
try to take away as many of the ways in which you can shoot yourself in the foot as possible while still maintaining the predictability aspect of it, the traceability aspect, the testability aspect. I don't know, Jorge, if you have anything you want to add from your perspective. Yeah, I think that we knew that Rx, like we acknowledge that every application, every user interface application, it's reactive by nature. That doesn't mean that we have to use Rx. What we mean by reactive is that you're going to have user interactions coming at any random point in time, right? And once you receive that interaction or the system or whatever, you need to react to that, right? We were experiencing or like kind of like experimenting with the idea of like state machines at the at the time at the time, right? Um, coming from the Android community, uh, it was very popular at that time. Like different frameworks that were following like the model view intent pattern, right? Like we see, for example, Airbnb, open source Mavericks. We had an internal team actually kind of like toying around with the idea of a library called Circuit. And we really like that idea of like, hey, we acknowledge that our applications are reactive, but at the end of the day, what we're building is an state machine, right? Is that for a given user interaction, once we receive it, we might produce zero, one, or multiple states, right? So pretty much what we did was to take a little bit of that inspiration, a little bit of inspiration from Block, right? And also our, our little, not our, our little goals, but our goals. We wanted a, a tool that was easy to test, that was easy to teach, right? We knew that we would scale from our small team of research at that point to 200 developers that kind of like formed the VNW ecosystem, right? So we needed to support that level of scale. And we knew that we cannot be in every single pull request being like, hey, this is not how you use streams and all that stuff. <laughs> or you forgot we to like, close your subscription. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we were like, how can we acknowledge that our application is reactive, but write our state management solution in such a way that it's just a bunch of if else blocks or like switch statements, right? Even if we were able to be functional, which maybe one day with Dart like metaprogramming, we can be, right? We can be, we can achieve all that. And we spent many hours in the whiteboard. Um, mm -hmm. And one day, Felix just shows up. It, like, Felix does this thing that, like, all of a sudden, he has that moment. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I got it. I have an idea, right? And he shared it with the team. We started kind of like experimenting with that. We started, like, writing unit tests. We started writing widget tests. We noticed that made our code much simpler to use, much more readable. We only had to apply one component. It was always like the same steps. It was very prescriptive, right? And all of a sudden, we started avoiding memory leaks. We removed code. We separated our business logic from our user interface. And we were like, okay, this is a big win, right? And at that point, he started like publishing block zero. It took him a while to release 1.0. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's how it became to be such a popular tool, right? Um, and then after open sourcing it, like we started getting traction from communities, not only in the US, but in China, in Europe, right? We all of a sudden hear that this tiny project that we were using at BMW, people want to translate it to Japanese, to Chinese, to mm -hmm. French, because they use it over there. And then you hear that, hey, company X, Y, and C that like are double our size, for example, compared to BGB, right? They're using block and all the stuff. And we're like, okay, we like, he knew at that point that he was after something big. And I think the breaking point for, for Felix personally, I, I see him like his growth, right? Uh, 
when he gave the presentation at Flutter Europe about blog, you saw an entire auditorium with hundreds of people just kind of like listening to him, right? And we were able to present a solution that was battle tested by multiple companies, right? That is helping companies to deliver faster and safer and also super fun, right? And then when you see the community interactions, every time Felix like helps with an issue or every time someone with the community uh, helps with an issue or give feedback on open a pull request, right? It's a very healthy community and that's super rewarding as well. Otherwise, I would imagine that he would be burned out quite quite quickly, right? So all <laughs> yeah. that ecosystem, it, it's, it's just very, like, for me, it's it's amazing to see. Yeah, the, the experience of going from, like, I think to me that was the most exciting part about picking up Flutter is looking at pub.dev and being like, okay, it's a blank canvas. Like, there's literally so many things that need to be built, like, at the time, uh, one of our, like, at least personally, one of my role models was Brian Egan, because he was, like, the author of all these amazing packages on pub.dev. And so, like, one of the things that I still remember doing early was just, like, examining, like, okay, how did he structure his code? How did he test his code? How did he set up his CICD? Like, there was so much learning from looking at, like, this new, I think that was kind of probably, like, one of the most important things is being involved at that time where there wasn't so much noise, it was still like relatively small and being able to kind of have that focus and look at like, okay, how are these really influential people um, like making things and, and helping the community and then just basically trying to take as much as possible from them and uh, apply those same concepts to any ideas or problems that we had to solve. And so I think like BMW is great because we had to figure out how to solve things at scale. And I think now at VGV, it's a different kind of scale because we have to find something that works uh, decently well for like all kinds of different problems. It's not just like a single problem, but with like hundreds of people or like millions of users or, or whatever the case might be. Now it's like take that problem and multiply it by however many companies we're working yeah. with. Instead yeah. of scaling just one company, right? We're helping dozens or like on the 20 numbers and all the stuff or even more. Mm -hmm. All those companies at the same time to scale, right? So we just added some extra complexity, but at the same time, that's part of the fun, right? Like it's make sure that you're able to come up with a process, a standard, a tool that can have an impact regardless of your team size, regardless of your culture, regardless of your like team of developers, right? We always say that the way we wanna, we consider scale is that the same solution needs to work efficiently whether you're a team of one or three or 100, right? And, and that's part of the fun is like, think about those APIs, those interactions and how to make it work together. Uh, actually, so maybe we can talk a little bit more. Sorry, I'm, I'm a little bit interested uh, in, in Block because like I said, I, I don't know if I said this already, but I use it personally and I, I quite like it. Um, mm -hmm. I know somebody else, I just brought on another guy. He, he says he uses the Block pattern, but I guess he uses RX more um, mm -hmm. than this Flutter Block thing. So he's actually kind of struggling with the block library, so it's, it's good to have you on, so maybe he can watch this and kind of get more of an idea. Um, but there's actually multiple different kind of block flavors, I would say, um, in terms of like these block packages. Um, mm -hmm. Some of you actually just asked in the live stream about uh, Angular block, and his specific question was something like, um, is there many people using Angular block to share logic between Dart and Angular besides Google? Yeah, it's a good question. So like, 
I believe that it's in this kind of like maintenance mode now, Angular Dart, and there are they aren't going to be delivering like massive new features, um, unfortunately. But yeah, I think like back when we first started, um, one of the reasons why people even like looked at this block pattern thing was because there was no Flutter web, and that was like one of the easiest ways to share your logic across uh, web applications using Angular Dart and mobile applications using Flutter. And so it was kind of like a no-brainer at that time to try to support Angular, uh, Dart, as well as Flutter, and um, like make it easy to integrate the same business logic component in both uh, frameworks. And so I've kind of just like tried to keep up with it and keep upgrading as new updates came around. But I mean, personally, beyond just making like examples and helping people with issues, I actually haven't made a production application using Angular, Dart. I'm not sure, Jorge, if you have, but I do know there are some like diehard Angular Dart people out there that I've uh, encountered that are using it all the time. And I'm sure within Google, like you mentioned, there are a lot of people using it, but I think it just never picked up as much traction externally as something like AngularJS, for example. I, I would like to talk more about these different flavors of Dart, of, sorry, of Block. <laughs> so, sure. I mean, obviously we got Block, which is pretty interesting. You can use it outside of, of Flutter. Um, you have Angular Block, as you just talked about, which is mm -hmm. also interesting. But you have Hydrated and Replay. Like, where do these things come from, and, and why do you guys decide to support them and not, like, you know, somebody else? Like, what's what's the point of making these? Yeah, um, so basically, uh, Hydrated Block was, like, another thing that came up at BMW, and it was just, like, it was kind of like a thought experiment of, like, I, I mentioned early on we made that one decision, that opinionated decision about the blocks from the block library will have only a single input and a single output instead of multiple inputs and multiple outputs. And that's kind of like one of the biggest differences between the raw, like vanilla implementation versus using the library. And one of the key benefits, in my opinion, of that approach is it gives you way more opportunity to do things like some of these packages, like this hydrated block and replay block, because by having a single point where every state change has to happen, you can do really cool things like with hydrated block, you can persist automatically those state changes on disk or wherever you want really and then restore them the next time the application restarts or the block is reinstantiated uh, so it makes it really nice for like simple like offline support for basic things uh, where you don't really need to do much besides provide a to and from json implementation to tell it how to serialize and deserialize the state and um, it uses hive by default but you can plug and play with whatever uh, storage implementation you want and uh, replay block was kind of similar uh, actually, that one came from the community. I think uh, it was Rody Rody Davis's idea, um, and uh, it was similar. It was like, okay, now that we have like the single point where all the state changes are are happening, and you can track the history of state changes, wouldn't it be cool if you could automatically undo and redo, so you maintain that kind of like um, history, and people can replay uh, state changes? I think in particular to me that was cool for like the potential of building some dev tools, kind of like the Redux dev tools, where you do that time travel and you can go back and forth in time. And so, yeah, I think like all of these things, they came from like a necessity to support this type of functionality and the packages were kind of like our attempt at the simplest way to achieve that. Um, and so, yeah, I think like those are, those are things that they just are not too, not too difficult to maintain. Like I think those, those packages are relatively stable. Like the feature set is relatively focused. And so it made sense in my opinion to kind of maintain them as part of this ecosystem and like try to keep them up to date whenever there are breaking changes or major updates to uh, the library. There's actually another one that's not 
it's kind of like more neglected in my opinion. It's that sealed flutter block, which was our, it was kind of like an experiment back in the day of like, can we bring sealed unions to a block since like Jorge mentioned, it would be really nice if instead of having if else's or switch statements, you can actually enforce that every single state or every single event is handled and the UI handles every single state. And so, I mean, some were, some packages are more successful than others, obviously, but I think um, overall it's, it's kind of just uh, the approach we took was try to make things that are really focused and are good at doing one thing and then allow the community to kind of pick and choose which ones they want to use and which ones they don't want to use rather than having maybe like something that has all kinds of functionality baked in and you're forced to take it all in and uh, learn how to use it. So I think that separation and building kind of like a mini ecosystem of packages has been useful both from um, like a being efficient as a developer, but also um, like not being overwhelmed with like any individual API. Like most of them have really small API surfaces and hopefully they're pretty straightforward to figure out how to use. Um, but yeah, I think they're all kind of like good examples of how you can leverage like the simple concept of one input, one output, and you have access to every single state change in one spot. There are some really cool things you can do that I think even today, like we haven't fully taken advantage of. So <laughs> there's definitely a lot of opportunity there to build um, more and add to that ecosystem. I'm also kind of curious though, um, I think blocks, if I create a block, I should make it really stateless, right? Like the way I look at a block, the way I tend to use blocks is that I make my block kind of like a controller. It doesn't really hold state. It's not really persistent necessarily. Uh, but I have like a repository that I stick in there, and that one is usually where I try to have like the state interactions and this kind mm -hmm. of stuff. Um, I'm not too sure if that's actually the right way to do it, but that's the way I do it. Um, like, do you think this is a good pattern, or do you think that there's better patterns than, than something like this? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends. I think the idea that you mentioned, like thinking of it as a controller, I think a lot of people think of it like that, and I think it makes sense. Like, I think people are used to MVC, and blocks in many ways are very similar to controllers. I think at VGV, we try to keep the, so the block, I mean, even though you, it might not have its own like private state that you're maintaining as part of the block class itself, it still does hold state, right? Because that is what the UI is reacting to. So it, it's, it's still stateful, but yeah, generally we try to avoid having internal state like explicitly added to the block and treat everything, um, all state related changes uh, through the state model. Uh, and then repositories, we also try to keep stateless as much as possible, or at least like decoupled from the app lifecycle as much as possible. Actually, Jorge had a really good blog that we can maybe link to where we talked about um, like how we organize our code and set up uh, like a scalable architecture and like the different layers of the application. We can talk more about that if you're curious, but yeah, I definitely think like the controller mentality makes a lot of sense and like just trying to make your UI as simple as possible um, is like kind of one of the biggest uh, wins in my opinion and trying to think of everything in terms of features and in terms of um, like the state that drives that feature so that the UI is just responsible for well, how do I show the user whatever I need to show the user and not necessarily like interpreting data and manipulating data. So, yeah. Yeah, I would love to talk more about how you guys do your um, your your architecture, right? Because, yeah, the, the nice part about Flutter is that it's open for people to kind of mm -hmm. experiment and do their own way, but then at the same time, it's like, well, I think there's there's some good patterns that people need to promote at least because yeah things could become spaghetti really easily especially yeah, because yeah. Flutter is so easy that beginners can come to it right and I can I notice I'm in a lot of the beginner communities just like uh, you know not because I'm a beginner or whatever but just there's just so many of these because there's just 
yeah, I don't know. This is very easy. The, the onboarding the Flutter is so so straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that it's it's really focused on visual, right? If you're like typing stuff and then like console code coming back to you, it's like uh, it's not so attractive. You don't really understand what's going on. But then if you can say, oh, I know what a button is. I know what an app is. I use my phone all the time. That's much more like, yeah, I'm actually creating something versus like a, a console based app, which everybody usually begins with. Um, the, but I wanted to ask one quick question. So um, I'm interested to use Block in uh, certain other places that I haven't really done before, which is like form validations. And I did check out your form validation code. And uh, the funny thing is that I've seen, at least when I'm working with Block, you guys try to push people to use that the stream output function. Of, it's uh, Was it event to state? I think it's called. I forgot. Map event to state, I think it's called. Yeah, that, that's deprecated now, but that was the old API. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's deprecated now, okay. But yeah, yeah, yeah because maybe, So that's what I, I, I usually use, I think. Uh, but what I've noticed is that your example for the form part is using this on, and I looked up on in the uh, in the docs, yeah. and it says, don't use this, this is internal or something like that. And so I'm, I'm getting confused about what I should be using, what I shouldn't be using now. Oh, yeah. I mean, let me know where in the docs it says you shouldn't use on, because you should use on. On is the new API uh, that is... The, the goal is to replace map event to state. You can I can drop a link to the proposal. Um, so currently, like the the latest stable release, you still have the ability to use the old map event to state API and the new API, so that you can kind of gradually migrate blocks one by one, and you're not forced to do it all at once. Um, but yeah, the recommendation is all the examples in the repo on the master branch should be uh, using the latest versions of the API. So I definitely recommend following whatever you see in those examples and. Um, Part, partly the reason for switching to this on, like to give to make a long story short, um, it addresses some predictability issues that we are running into uh, that developers would often encounter when using nested async generators with map event to state. Everything usually was async generators, and when you start composing an async generator from other async generators, there are certain cases that don't behave as you'd necessarily expect as a developer. Also, just like the concept of an async generator and the yield and yield star or yield each keyword, those things um, were like more advanced concepts that kind of scared developers. And um, the last bit that kind of this whole on API attempts to improve is the ability to specify like how your events are going to be processed and what order are they going to be processed, et cetera, and to make that a little more like accessible to developers. And so, yeah, this on API was kind of the the solution that we arrived upon to try to both unify the block and qubit APIs a bit because with that new API now, you're just using this emit function in both places. So if you're using qubit and then you move to block, it should feel a lot more familiar and the migration should be a lot simpler. And then also to eliminate a lot of these more advanced uh, concepts and room for error. Like I mentioned before, like the whole point of block was uh, how can we eliminate the um, like uncertainty or like ability to use the tool incorrectly or like introduce bugs that are hard to track down? And so this this migration to this on API was an attempt to like even further uh, try to make the library a little safer, a little more predictable. So the on on event API just allows you to register an event handler, and on accepts a generic type for the event that you want to react to. And so you can register one or more event handlers, and then every time you add an event of that type the handler will get called and within the handler you have access to both the event that you added as well as this emit and you can use emit to emit one or more states and so you can make your code look very similar to the way it did before with map event to state only you don't have to deal with async generators and the yield keyword 
Yeah, yeah so, I was just searching, searching the docs as you're talking because I could have sworn I saw that on was the other way around. That's why I was getting confused. Maybe yeah, I let me know if you thing. if you find where that is. That is not that shouldn't be the case. On is the I new the new API. So I feel like I must have been dreaming because I don't see it now. Maybe I looked at something. <laughs> maybe something maybe uh, you're thinking of the only thing that I can think of is the emit emit. Yeah, emit the block yeah. is internal. So yeah, with Qubit, if you use Qubit, you might be used to just being able to call emit from anywhere in the class. Like you can emit within the constructor body, you can emit within the close method, you can emit anywhere. And with block, like one of the core differences, right, is that you only want to trigger state changes in response to an event. So the reason for that is we don't want people to just be able to call emit from anywhere. Um, there's a difference between the emit function that Qubit has access to and the emitter that your event handler uh, gets and so you, you're probably browsing through the source code I'm guessing of block and you ran into uh, the emit override on block that's like don't use emit uh, don't call emit directly you should only use the emit that's provided via the event handler callback so that every single state change is tied to an event otherwise you're otherwise if you don't find value in that just use qubit it's the same thing <laughs> without the events I think I think your your last comment that you just made about qubit is very interesting because like I had no idea that there was such thing as a qubit until recently. I was kind of browsing about how can I use a block better because I just felt like I wasn't using it to a full potential. Mm -hmm. And this guy mentioned qubit. I'm like, what the heck is a qubit? And I'm like, wait a minute. So we got block base, and I think block base you have like uh, yeah, qubit and block. I don't, know, I don't know if it's a straight. Is it like linear or not? I don't know, but it's like at least there's two. There's two children somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's, it's a grandchild or not, the, I don't know. Yeah, block base mm -hmm. is the base class, and then qubit and block both implement that interface. So the reason for that is so that all of the Flutter widgets, like Block Builder, Block Listener, Block Provider, they all are compatible with Block and Qubit. Um, so that if you do migrate between those, you don't have to change any of your UI code. All your UI code should work exactly the same way. And similarly, the tests, like the Block Test Package, it, everything is implemented against that Block Base class. So that it doesn't matter whether you're using a Qubit or a Block, you have kind of this interoperability across all the ecosystems. So, and all that really, it's pretty recent. I mean, to me, it feels like a long time ago, but relatively recent, um, the, the whole like Qubit concept. And that really just came about because it's actually a funny story as well. Like there was a developer one night that was like, oh, can you help me with block? Like, I'm really not sure like if I'm using it correctly or not. And they basically shared code with me where they kind of bypassed the entire map event to state function entirely. And they were just trying to use block uh, in a really simple way where they would define methods on their block and then they would call those methods from the UI directly and then they wanted states to be emitted. And I was like, well, at first I was like, well, oh, you're like missing the point. Like events are so beautiful. Like why aren't you using events? And then it kind of dawned on me like, okay, like everyone doesn't necessarily want to use events. It's an extra step that you have to think about. Like maybe the feature you're building doesn't need events, doesn't benefit from being event driven. And maybe it's easier to think of things as just like actions. Like developers are, I think a lot of times, especially if you're newer to programming, it's a lot easier to understand. I call a function and something happens as opposed to I add an event. And then at some point later in time, that event gets processed and then something happens. And so, yeah, the whole idea behind Qubit was like, okay, let's make this same approach with the same kind of benefits of predictability, testability, all that stuff a little more accessible and a little easier with less code for maybe use cases that are simpler and don't really require uh, this like event sourcing traceability that comes with block. Um, so yeah, that was kind of like uh, how that came about. And a lot of the examples in the repo, um, they try to show like different use cases where you can use block and qubit together on their own. Um, 
Uh, actually, we have uh, we have some blogs that kind of talk about the differences as well. And there's like in the core concepts on the docs that tries to explain a bit like when you'd use one versus the other. But yeah, that's a little bit of the history of how it came up. And like I always tell people, if you're not sure which one to use, you can try Qubit and then you'll know if you need block when you need it. I think at VGB, we kind of just default and use block for everything just because we're so familiar with it and we really like the traceability um, aspect that you get from it. Like you know exactly how every state change happened and you know what actions led to that or like what events led to that. Um, but if you're not sure and like that doesn't sound like, oh, that's amazing, then you can try just using Qubit. You'll probably be able to achieve like a lot of the same things with less code. And then when the use case arises that you need it, um, you can easily, or at least the goal is that you can easily refactor your qubit to a block and minimal changes to the UI, minimal changes to your tests. So, yeah. <laughs> also, the block observer thing is pretty interesting, too. I mm -hmm. thought that was definitely the most useful thing because I kept like having like errors here and there. And then like it is now I can get out to the error and then like send it over to Sentry or whatever kind of error tracking yeah, thing. Yeah. It's much more centralized. I, I love that idea. I was kind of curious about how the heck that thing worked. I guess there must be some kind of central... PubSub or something. I, I'm not too sure how to something like this actually works. Oh yeah, so the block observer. There's just a single instance of the observer, um, and so yeah, the way it, it's pretty simple. It's just every single block uh, has a reference to the single instance of the observer and just reports anytime a state change happens or anytime an event gets added. Like all these different uh, things that you might want to know as a developer. We actually recently expanded the API, so you can hook into anytime a block was created, anytime an event was added, anytime a state change happens, anytime an error happens, and then anytime a block was destroyed or closed. So it should give you yeah, a really good sense of like what's going on and in what order things are happening and how you ended up at a certain state. It's, it's great that you mentioned like you use it for Sentry and like hooking it up because that's exactly what we use it for at VGV as well, uh, even analytics. Uh, it's super handy. Um, so yeah, like for us, that was one of the cool things. Again, from like making this opinionated decision about rather than multiple inputs and multiple outputs, if you make that, if you constrain that, you actually like open the door for a lot of cool things. And like this is another one of those where it makes it so much easier to observe like how your app is behaving. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's it's awesome that you use it. That's something that like a lot of people actually overlook, in my opinion. And to me, that's also like one of the coolest things. So <laughs> I'm glad that you've used it. Yeah, it's it's one of the best things is that it allows us to actually automate some of the business requirements and just focus on adding business value or business logic to our project, right? In the past, we've seen many code bases in which like you might have your controller or whatever you use for business logic. And within that, you have to track analytics, right? And every time someone touches a button or something like that, you want to send an analytic event and all the stuff. And that's tedious, right? And that is not part of your, like, bringing user value. It's just some internal requirement that you have to track what the user is doing, right? So one of the nice consequences of Block Observer is, like, you can trace every single action, every single, well, actually, transaction or change, right, depending whether you use uh, Block or, or Qubit, right? Just inject your analytics manager, your developer's logger or whatever, in the block observer and start using it, right? You can actually even be like a little bit more specialized. And for example, your events, if you want to use like a mixing to the say like, hey, this event needs to participate in analytics, right? You can filter those in your own, own transition callback or whatever, and just send whatever you've decided to mark as an analytic event, send it to Firebase Analytics or Segment or whatever you want to use, right? So 
that just with a few lines of code, you automated your entire analytics system without having to convolute really your business logic. And that is a huge win that I feel like is not highlighted enough. And for us, it's like, yeah, this that's part is of the magic. reason why we this just default the block everywhere because it just gives us that extra level of uh, like observability, uh, especially when trying to debug things or understand um, like what led to a certain consequence. Like if an exception was encountered, for example, it makes it really easy to retrace like what a, a user did. I think Jorge had a really good slide at one of his talks. I think it was also at Flutter Europe uh, in his talk. He had like just a screenshot of logs from Block Observer and without looking at the UI, without looking at anything, it was really clear to tell exactly what had happened. Like the user had filled in some form with some information, they hit this submit button and then they got into some error state. And like, you don't need to look at UI, you don't need to like reverse engineer a bunch of stack traces or anything to figure out how that error happened. You can just look at these logs that you didn't have to write much code at all to get. And yeah, hopefully it saves you a lot of time and makes it a little simpler to... Actually, the combination of those logs coming from Block Observer plus the naming convention that, um, that like it's capturing the block documentation, right? That naming convention, while it can be quite verbose, then it's going to allow you to truly understand how those logs could read like, right? And the power of that is by automating all that stuff, imagine that you're like a huge application, right? Like you could be Pinterest or maybe not Pinterest, but imagine that you're like, I don't know, like a company that sells like flight tickets, right? And something goes wrong and you call customer service. Customer service could actually have a debugging session with that particular customer in which they can see in real time all the, all the logs that they're producing. And that you just pretty much get it for free, right? It's not just for analytics or developer logs. It could help your entire call center to understand what could be problems in the app, right? Mm -hmm. Quite easily. And that is super powerful. That like live debugging, remote sessions, automated analytics and all the stuff, it's it's definitely one of the huge wins of, of blogs actually. Yep, yep. Yeah, I think that the magic sorry, the magic to me is like how does it actually hook in? Because I'm so used to things kind of being very uh exact and it's like you would have to pass it in or, or something like it just seems like because you just create a block observer and then I'm not sure how the heck they get hooked up because it's just not clear. Yeah. That part is Oh yeah, yeah. That part I, I I like it, but also at the same time I'm like, wait, this is a little bit magic. I don't know if I yeah, like yeah. that part, but I do like the observability. I think I can help a little bit with that explanation because I've been doing actually like training today about that, so I can help. So think of block observer as a tiny spy that sits in between your single entry and your single like Right, like we said that blocks, events are a single input, right? And the outputs, the way you emit states, they're a single output as well. I'm not going to get into the technical explanation. Felix can do that way better than I do. But just for the concept is because you have a single input and a single output that block manages. You can have a tiny spy sitting in between those, just looking at everything that is going on, right? And because you have full control over that single input and output API, that's how you can report back to Block Observer. So while it might look like a little bit of magic, it's actually that decision of having a single input API and having a single output API that allows you then to report those stuff because you control it, right? So that's the idea. The technical implementation, it's a little bit more complicated, but that's literally... Yeah, and for the technical aspect, right now, the way it works is 
your block observer, it's actually just a singleton, right? Like there's just a single instance of block observer for your entire app. And you can you can customize that by saying block.observer equals whatever you want your observer to be. And because there's just a single instance of the observer, um, all the blocks have access to that single reference of the observer so that they can report whenever these important things happen, like an event is added or a state change happens. Something that we're actually like experimenting with and trying to play around with. The reason for that decision, by the way, uh, is because we wanted this functionality to be like pure Dart. Um, but one of the things that at least I've personally been thinking about more is how can we leverage the widget tree in Flutter so that you can provide different implementations of this observer. Maybe you want like the logs for a subtree of your app to be reported differently than the logs for another subtree of your app. Like maybe if the user isn't logged in, you want the logs to go to bucket A, and if the user is logged in, you want the logs to go to bucket B. I don't know, hypothetical example, but in those cases, um, you could leverage the widget tree and something like provider or inherited widget and scope different observers to different parts of the widget tree, but then that starts getting into like, now this is a platform-specific implementation that only works in Flutter. It won't work in like Angular Dart, for example. So yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting um, ideas there. Similar for like hydrated block you mentioned, like the way that the storage works for that is the same thing, right? Like there's a single instance of that hydrated storage uh, that all the blocks have a reference to and they know how to use. Um, but then if you want, like for example, again, like if I'm logged in, I wanna store things in like, I don't know, key store, keychain. terrible example, but assume that's the case. And if I'm not logged in, I just wanna store them in memory. Um, like that would be possible if we had a way to basically scope those to um, different parts of the widget tree using something like inherited widget or provider. So those are some, things that I think um, at least I'm personally like thinking about a lot and trying to experiment with and see like what can we do there and how can we like leverage. Jorge talks a lot about like leverage the widget tree. The widget tree is your best friend. It's like the perfect uh, data structure to represent the state of your application and to scope different aspects of different dependencies and, and things like that. And so, yeah, we're always thinking of like how can we leverage the widget tree that Flutter gives us as much as possible. I was just thinking it could be great to have like multiple block observers. Like this mm -hmm. one's for logging, yeah, this exactly. one's for whatever. So for that would be uh, for that really actually. Great. Like we we recently one of our clients actually had that exact same feedback, and you can you can achieve that really um, easily by just create a custom block observer, call it like multi block observer, extends block observer, and then in the constructor accept a list of more block a list of like block observers, right, and then. In your multi-block observer, now you can just, in on transition, go through your list of block observers and call on transition on each of them. So you can easily build uh, that con that uh, component yourself without um, a lot of code. Go ahead, Jorge, you're going to say something? <laughs> no, I was going to say that it looks like we have two blog ideas. One explaining how we can automate yeah. analytics and all the stuff. Yeah, and yeah, the how you can have multiple observers. Yeah, because yeah. that's something that a lot of people ask. They're like, oh, I want one that's just printing to the console and one that's like logging to Sentry, like you mentioned, for example, or doing other things. Um, and yeah, that's that's hopefully like pretty straightforward. We can, yeah, we can take that back and maybe release a blog post on how that would look. And I can put like a gist together of how that could look. But yeah, hopefully like the idea is to make it as easy as possible to customize and extend uh, a lot of this functionality and make it your own. Um, I know like you mentioned early, one of the things, the challenges and like the the pros of Flutter is it's so open-ended. So like you can do whatever you want, but you have to make all these decisions about how to do things. And so like that's always the balance, but hopefully like at least what we were intending with Block is to give you something that makes decisions for you in a way that like puts you on the right path, but still leaves the door open for you to customize whenever like you really have specific use cases or you want to like uh, push the tooling even further. 
Um, and if not, open a PR, open an issue and open a PR, <laughs> and then we'll, we'll figure out how to make it happen. Yeah, I have much more questions I want to ask about like some other things, mm -hmm. uh, but I feel like I'm, I'm I'm taking up too much of Felix's time in terms of you know leaving Jorge in the corner to to. I mean, every time Felix speaks, like the only thing that I can do is just to sit and listen because it's it's amazing to listen to him, right? <laughs> no, I'm very privileged, honestly, to work for Jorge. Him, so. So. <laughs> I agree. No, definitely. So, we, yeah, we may. I think it'd be a good idea for maybe have a second session, maybe more, uh, more of your open source efforts, and maybe digging into. Yeah, some yeah. Things. I mean, I, mean, I think you'll find like Jorge and I can talk for forever on all of these topics. So, yeah, we should definitely we can schedule follow up sessions on more specific topics. Sounds good to me. Um, yeah. So uh, I want to kind of go back to you guys' story, right? So you guys, as as Jorge is, seems to be kind of uh, hinting at, is like you guys have a very close relationship, right? So like you 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 know you you guys were at BMW you put together this great solution um you seem to mesh really well together like what happened that you guys decided to to kind of leave uh, uh BMW and go to sounds like you went straight to VGV mm -hmm. right like or was it you guys started VGV or, or I don't actually know the the history of VGV no, no, we didn't start VGV. We're not part of the OG team. Um, we joined kind of like in the, well, I mean, VGV was born in 2018, right? And we joined in January 2020. Um, but VGV, like, uh, there was already like a team in there. So David, our president, uh, one of like the only OG developer that still is in the team is, is Kevin Gray, who has yeah. been there since <laughs> since the very first day. But then we also had teammates like Al, for example, that actually if you watch the Hamilton videos and all that stuff, he shows up in there, right? We were with Kevin in the past, with Martin, like all amazing teammates, right? But since then, the company has grown quite a lot and we've been enjoying kind of like the growth of Flutter as well, right? Uh, for us to leave BMW, it was just like, I think we were ready for the next challenge. Um, BMW, it's a big corporation, right? Both of us, we started rewriting the project, but at some point we realized like, hey, this product, in one way or another, we've already put this in the market, right? I did it with Android. Felix did that when he was working on the web team and iOS, right? So at that point, it just kind of like stopped being that interesting. It, it was kind of like a nice scaling problem, but at the same time, it's like, okay, We've already built anything that we could build when it came to like the core vehicle stuff, right? Uh, and we were kind of like ready for the next challenge. And it's funny because we we both knew that we have good chemistry working together and that we wanted to go to the next adventure together. Um, so even for a while, we were thinking about like, what if we start our own startup? Uh, I think I still have like a couple yeah, napkins yeah. with ideas, right? We were thinking about starting like a flatter school and, and all those things. And ultimately, um, we had this conversation with, uh, with actually with, with David and like our old teammates uh, from BGV, right? And in my case, for example, I'm a huge musical fan. I love Hamilton. I was like, it's really nice that there's a company in there that has been working on the Hamilton app, that they do flatter and all that stuff. I met some of the uh, teammates at Flutter New York, not Flutter, Dreadcore New York uh, 2019. I had a good relationship with with Martin Rivak, uh, for example, that was in the team at that point and was leading the Flutter NYC community. So it just kind of like everything aligned. 
And I told David, I told Felix, like, look, I think that this could be a good company. I already had a, like an initial chat, and I told David, our our, our president, is like, well, if we're gonna do this, uh, I might bring another teammate, right? And immediately the reaction was like, well, then we started an office in Chicago, and like it became this much larger project that was quite ambitious for the scope of BGV and gave us a lot of opportunity, right? And it allowed us to start introducing like some of the practices that we had at BMW, right? Now at BGV internally, how we can make our uh, processes more efficient. We started working with other customers and evangelizing these same practices, refining our processes, right? And all of a sudden that attracted a lot of attention, right? Uh, at that point, we were a little bit known already in the community. So when we joined VGV, VGV being the first in Flutter and now opening this office in Chicago with Felix and myself, gave it also like a, a, a little bit more of visibility, right? So now, for example, if you think about Toyota using Flutter, right? All of a sudden, we're also in the vehicle industry that use Flutter. So that brings a certain level of confidence, right? We started also like attracting more talent, right? For example, our teammates in Poland, right, like Dominique, Jay in Netherlands, Oscar in Spain, they joined VGV because we started growing a little bit more remotely. And all of a sudden they're like, well, I know Felix, it's amazing. I want to work in that company. Or with Oscar, it's like, oh, there's another Spanish developer in the team. I want to join the company, right? So all the stuff created traction, right? And since then, we've also been very lucky to work with customers, right, that trusted us, right, that, that allowed us to use like blog and the level of testing that we set as our own standard and keep growing our open source initiatives and all the stuff. And we've been able to deliver successfully. Uh, it's funny because we go and work with many clients, right? And we've had this comment uh, many times that is like, wow, since I work with the VGV team, this is the first time that we finish on a sprint on time, that we actually have time for tech dev and all those things, right? And they're actually even like, sometimes they're not even tech dev. So we just finish earlier and we can get to do more interesting things or just kind of like we meet the deadline, right? Because our ultimate goal with these patterns is not just to be technically perfect, right? But we think, we believe, and we can prove it with data that we can ship faster, right? At the end of the day, uh, if you don't buy time, you're kind of like losing money. So shipping faster is important, but you also want to ship safer, right? In our testing strategies, blog, and all the stuff is what achieves that as well. It's unfortunate that Facebook kind of like has this mantra of like ship fast and break things, right? We don't like breaking things. We don't like receiving like 2 a.m. calls because something broke. We just want to be boring as a company, but boring in a good way. You know, like let's avoid all those type of surprises, right? So that's a little bit our story is that we kind of like we needed a different challenge and VGV, even though was small and we're still quite small as a company, we're just a drop of water in the ocean, right? We're about 35 people right now, total, the entire company. Um, we still have like really ambitious goals, right? And we have the opportunity to, or selfishly, it's very important for us that Flutter is successful, right? Because you just need one bad example of a Flutter implementation to kind of like have the community being like, oh, Flutter is not a good framework, blah, 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 right? So it's in our best interest to evangelize these good practices, to make sure that we produce good code bases, right? That to make sure that 
we can create a healthy community as well, right? So if we can be leading that effort, it's a challenge that we're willing to accept and, and kind of like build together, right? So selfishly, because we only work with Flutter, it's in our best interest that everyone, even like other consulting companies that might be considered like business competitors, they're actually successful. So we have nothing to hide when it comes to our practices and the way we work, right? Like if you look at Photogood, that it's an open source project that we did with Google for uh, for Google I.O., right? That is literally how we treat any other client project, right? That level of testing, modularization, state management, and all the stuff, that's what we offer. You want to see how VGV works? You can just look at the Photogood project, right? And it's, it's, it's amazing. Actually, that project has received so much praise and so much good feedback from the community, right? Like, I don't know. It's 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 been really rewarding to to join VGV to grow the team to grow the company, right? To create the open source community that we're creating to offer uh, training services and all the stuff, right? It, we're always kind of like finding that opportunity that is going to help us to grow as a team, right? And it's going to also kind of like fulfill our our fun needs, right? Like we do this also because we want to have an impact, and and so far we've been able to do so. Uh, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, I think uh, VGV is definitely uh, one of the top, if not the top, for the consultancies. So it's really not to have you guys on and to to hear, you know, where you guys came from, um, you know, like how you got started. And I think that's also the the great part is like hearing how you guys got started in Flutter. It's like, hey, you know, that relates to me. Um, I kind of also tried different solutions and it just didn't work out and Flutter just did. And uh, the difference between you and I is basically you guys um, strove hard to try to find the perfect kind of state management solution and you came up with something and then you guys iterate and kept going with it and then also finding the ability to do breath practices. Um, So, but it's good that it's good to hear, you know, um, I think we were lucky. It's definitely (laughs) a story. Sorry. Of kind of like being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. I think we were we were fortunate enough um, to be around and like we're presented with this opportunity when there was kind of like I said like a blank slate in front of us and like there was a lot of opportunity to have a big impact and so I think like yeah state management is like one of those controversial like hot topics and like whenever there's a new state management approach like the community goes crazy like criticizing and like determining like where does it fit in the ranking of the 1 million other state management libraries but I think like even today, like there's so many exciting challenges for uh, for how to do things in Flutter that are currently difficult. Like navigation is a great example. There's like tons of people spending a lot of time on like how can I make navigation simpler, leveraging like the new APIs that came out in Flutter, or how can I uh, leverage like I don't know tooling to kind of help statically analyze code to make it make sure that it's safer, or like make sure that we can catch uh, issues faster, or, like make sure that it's accessible. Um, so I think like there's always challenges and it's just a matter of like being in the right spot where like one you can focus on addressing that challenge and like have the headspace and time to do it and then two to like share that challenge or share that solution with everyone and try to like kind of make it accessible and available to the larger community so i think like yeah we were at the right place at the right time to have an impact 
with like state management and block, for example. But I think like there's a million ways. I wish I just had more time and I didn't have to sleep at night because there's like a million things that that need work and uh, could benefit from support. And I think that's what's great about Flutter is like the community is so transparent. The code base is open source. Like everything is it's just a matter of time and like wanting to do it. And like nothing is really stopping you. You just have to pick uh, a problem and then sit down and like start at a whiteboard, like jotting ideas down and try a bunch of things and see what works. <laughs> yeah. So that said, if someone has that same level of passion or interest to kind of like solve those type of problems, right? Uh, one of the things that we're going to do um, is to actually have a real fully functional open source team, someone that can, a team that can be focused to these challenges that we want to tackle for the community and keep having an impact and improve the uh, Flutter ecosystem, right? Felix is gonna be leaving. It's gonna be leading that effort, right? So just check our website, the career section, and there's an entry for open source engineers, right? Uh, we're like always looking for like junior engineers, senior engineers, right? Program managers. We're also growing in Europe, right? So don't ever hesitate to reach out to us, uh, like we're always opening our door to kind of like keep growing and bring talent to the team and keep improving the Flutter ecosystem, both with companies, but also with the external community. Okay. And I think with that, I think this is a good way to kind of stop the session because we can talk yeah, for yeah. hours, right? We're already uh, a little bit over time, but I think that's okay. Um, yeah. I, I really appreciate you guys coming on. We can probably discuss over email about another session. I think that would be great if you have some, some ideas. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, Absolutely. I definitely have a lot of questions about other things, uh, other open source efforts you guys are working yeah, on. Yeah, we'd love to talk more um, about those. Yeah, so maybe we'll, we'll schedule some follow-ups. Um, but yeah, it's been Thanks. really fun. Thanks for having us. This was a lot of fun to talk about. Oh, yeah. No, thank you yeah, guys. It's for, been a pleasure. Thank you so much. So thank you guys for joining. Um, yeah, if there's nothing else, I think uh, usually I ask some kind of common questions, but what state measurement solution you guys use is definitely one of my questions, and I don't think I need to ask that one. It's quite clear. Uh, and I think you guys already answered another question, which is like any kind of tips for developers, right? It's just basically just like, you know, go at it, um, you know, um, just keep going hard and this kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. It seems to be that's going to be probably the answer, I think right? another thing to that point um, that I always try to tell people is like the best resource for Flutter, in my opinion, is Flutter itself. Like if you want to know how to do something like personally if i want to know how to do something the first place i look is github flutter slash flutter and like search for the thing i'm looking for and like 99 percent of the time i find the answer in either the code itself or in the documentation within the code so i think that's a huge tip that like you don't really get that everywhere that you can just like command click on like a class from the framework and then jump straight to the implementation and the documentation and especially like if you're wondering if you're trying to get into testing, for example, and you want to know like, oh, how do I test something? Like, how do I test some like platform component that has a method channel or whatever? Like the Flutter repo is just like an endless resource for all of those types of things. And so, yeah, my advice is like, just try to like look for what you're, what you're like trying to learn more about or like examples of what you're trying to achieve within um, the, the repo itself. And a lot of times you'll find what you're looking for and you know that it was written by people who know what they're doing because they're the ones who maintain the framework. So it's, a, it's an awesome resource. Yeah, I think that's a great tip. Not many people mentioned, but mm -hmm. yeah, that's true. Always check the, the Flutter docs and Flutter uh, resource, Flutter, sorry, Flutter yeah. repository. Yeah, Jorge, I don't know if you have any special tips. <laughs> no, just the cool thing about Flutter, I think from the point of view of I mean, the tech is super important, but I think also 
Flutter is so important because of the community, right? It's a very warm and welcoming and supporting community, right? So to me, that's the most important thing, right? Like there's an opportunity for everyone as long as you're willing to learn, to support each other and just be nice, right? Be like, enjoy the ride. Sometimes we tend to kind of like fall into these arguments about this tool is better than the other tool and all the stuff like, well, tools are just to get the job done. It is normal that we all have opinions. Sometimes we're going to have even data to drive our opinions and our decisions, right? But most importantly, and first and foremost, is that just be nice, enjoy the community, enjoy the company, right? Like try to create a healthy environment. If we can achieve that, then the technology is a little bit of a side effect. That's the easy part that we can fix. We're just one pull request away to make it better, right? But cultural change takes effort, right? So making sure that we maintain a healthy community, it's key for the success of Flutter as well. So that to me might be... You can tell that <laughs> Felix is focuses on one thing. And then this is why we work well together. We balance right each other out. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's always uh, great if you can guys find somebody to to balance yourself out with. It's not okay. easy. <laughs> uh, cool. And uh, yeah, with that, I think uh, yeah, I think we can wrap this up. Um, yeah, let's continue to talk over email and. Uh, yeah, thanks again awesome. for coming yeah. out. Thanks so much. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Take care. Talk to you all later.